And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Welcome one, welcome all to another installment of the J.C. Morgan uh, podcast where we celebrate college football and pepper-crusted bacon, the things that we love in life. He is J.C. Sherbert, uh, man to millions across the country and for that matter the globe and beyond of 24-7 sports and thebigspur.com. I'm Mike Morgan of ESPN, SEC Network. He's in Chicago. I'm in Atlanta. And our guest this week is a good one, and he is in Charlotte, where the uh, SEC Network and ESPNU is headquartered, ironically enough. His name is Tom Luganbill, and he joins us now. Tom, how are you? I'm good, guys. How are we doing? Doing well, doing well. You, know, you, you and I go back a little ways. Um, I was trying to think the first time that I actually heard the name Tom Luganbill. I, I remember he was a quarterback at Tech for the, what was it, one year, right? Yeah. One-year tech, and I remember some of the coaching. I actually follow the Arena League a little bit and whatnot. But then I remember back in my Sports Talk Columbia, South Carolina radio days, you going on another show, and I was like, who is this Luganville guy? He's really good. And uh, I was like, that's a former player? He really knows his stuff. And then before you know it, you became a uh, recruiting star on ESPNU and now an analyst and everything else. So... Uh, congrats. And then you and I had a chance to do some Mac battles back in the day. I remember a, a cold night at Miami of Ohio Mac- or maybe that was Kent state. I get the two confused, but it was Kent. That's right. It was Kent yeah. state. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> had a little pep rally back. before the game. Oh, you know, we were, we, we were treated to a little complimentary buffet before the game. <laughs> <laughs> Those were the good old days. Hey, it's going to be back in a few weeks. So I can't wait. That's for that. Right. Anyway, how you doing? How's life been treating you? It's going good, as good as it can be, I guess, given the current set of circumstances that we're all working through. You know, you got to make adjustments, you got to make sacrifices, and um, kind of just as Nick Saban would say, it is what it is. Yeah, that's what that's what I keep telling uh, myself, and when I'm on a, a segment like this, when people ask about, oh, you know, what's it like doing a game remotely? As I've done, I know you've done. What's it like when your spotter's not in the same room as you call? I'm like, you know what? You just got to embrace the weird, man. Like nothing about 2020 is going to be normal. And I'm just glad we have a season. I don't know how you felt about this, but JC and I talked about it ad nauseum. And we talked about it with a number of our guests, how it was frustrating to see a lot of the people that cover this sport that we love so much and that employs us and gives us a great living uh, couldn't help themselves but let you know that they didn't feel like it should be played this fall. Yeah. I, I thought that was beyond frustrating, and here we are. So I'm not going to complain about anything. Yeah, I'm happy as I'll get out, too. I mean, listen, has it been ideal? Has it been easy? Is, you know, calling a game essentially in a broom closet with a bunch of television monitors and a <laughs> two-second delay? And like you said, no spotter, no stats guy. And really – that, that stale environment. And you know what I'm talking about? There's no, there's no atmosphere. There's no energy. You don't have any noise. It's just, it's quiet, you know? And it's, uh, that's been as big of an adjustment as anything. I, one of the things that's helped me though, guys, is my last seven years as a field analyst on the field, I don't have monitors down there and I don't have a field producer and I don't have a spotter and I don't have stats guys. So I had become so accustomed to training myself to broadcast off what I see right in front of me. All right. And while kind of keeping track of my surroundings. So having to move into this role and take more of a booth role, albeit not really in a booth, 
that's helped me because any monitor in front of me is a monitor I never had before. Any angle is something I didn't have before. So I kind of use that in the sense that, oh, that's neat. I, I don't usually get to see it from that perspective. So that's actually been good too. Yeah, I, I think you, you're you right. You learn to really appreciate uh, the, the things that we ordinarily take for granted. I mean, we, we've I mentioned some of the Mac games that uh, you and I have had the pleasure of calling. I mean, they're not all going to be when you're broadcasting games at this level. You're not always going to have a hundred thousand fans, right? Right. Uh, you know, I, I've I've called even SEC game like I've, I've called a, a game at Vanderbilt that has like three thousand people in the stadium. Yeah. But it's amazing, and we saw this this weekend. I think when people heard, oh, like, for example, SEC, you're only going to allow 20%. It's, it's not going to be nearly the same. It's not the same, but I'll tell you what, those 20-plus thousand fans at Texas A&M, unbelievable. The, the, uh, a week, uh, in week one, the South Carolina-Tennessee game, uh, the, the 18, 20,000 fans were, were at Williams-Brice. It does make a huge difference between that and zero. Yeah, any type of crowd noise is better than zero. You know, I always point to that first game of the year that, that Herbie and Reese did, uh, Navy and BYU, where Navy did not allow a single person in the stadium, and they weren't piping in noise over the PA system. Mm-hmm. Um, most of these programs now are actually using um, – EA sports and some of the video game crowd noise stuff to pipe in along with whatever the 19, 20,000 is they're letting into the stadium. And the thing that I've noticed that I've found to be interesting is yes, you have crowd noise. Yes, they can be a factor, but at the same time, when you start to listen closely and you watch these teams, it's amazing how many games we've gone through, or at least I've broadcast over the last five to six weeks where the hard count is so good and has caused so many either false starts or offsides penalties. And I had a game with SMU where Garrett Riley, the offensive coordinator could literally speak all right, to Shane Bouchelle from the sideline and vocalize what he wanted him to do. Didn't need a hand signal. Didn't need any of that. So everything has changed both behind the camera in front of the camera on the sidelines it's just a whole different world. He's Tom Luke and Bill. He's joining us here on JC and Morgan. And, and, I, and I, eventually I want to tap into uh, the world that both of you uh, know so well in, in recruiting, but I want to start going over some of the things that we've seen here lately and, and get your thoughts and JC's thoughts. And, and we'll start off with the Southeastern conference. Um, this past weekend was historical and I don't know if it was in a good way. Offenses averaged over 32 points a game. That's including a Mississippi State team that basically had a goose egg. They got two on a safety. Uh, a Vanderbilt team that got seven points on South Carolina, which means if you took if you took those two out, the rest of the, the conference, the other twelve teams, averaged well over forty points a game on offense. It looked like I was watching Big Twelve football this past weekend. The highlight, of course, was Alabama Ole Miss. That, that took the cake. When you look at it, you hear all different kinds of theories. Tackling's awful. Uh, the defenses are behind the offenses. COVID not allowing defenses to prepare as much. What do you see as the main reason why we are seeing, yeah, good offense, but yeah, really bad defense? I think it's a combination of three things. 
one, the quarterback play has been really good. I don't know if you've seen the guy in Missouri. He's really good. Miles Brennan has come out of nowhere. That's not even the same guy that played in week one. He's been lighting up the scoreboard. Um, they, that position, I think, is really strong across the board. That's one. I and mean, heck, even Felipe Franks is playing good football. Arkansas is vastly improved. Um, that's number one. Number two, I just think the offensive personnel, if we're just talking about the SEC, but I think it, it expands to the, the Big 12 and the ACC. The offensive personnel is so good and is so difficult to handle in space that there are mismatch advantages. And because the quarterback play has been good, they've been able to identify it and take advantage of it. And then number three was something you mentioned. And I, and I take this, I'd probably have a different take on this if I haven't had conversations with head coaches across college football prior to each of the last five weeks broadcasting games where you hear how little these teams have actually been on the practice field. You know, we're seeing these teams get on the field, some of them, not all of them, but take Memphis, for example. Memphis had a 28-day layoff. They had a span of 12 days where they actually closed their building. All right, didn't let anybody in the building. Then you get on the field, and you don't have your whole team on the field at once. You might be practicing this position group against this position group, or you got your one going versus your twos, but they're not doing contact. You're not doing 11 on 11. Well, I don't care who you are, how good of players you have. If you're not participating in routine tackling drills, routine assignment drills, routine 11 on 11 and seven on seven, eventually it's going to catch up with you. I'm not saying it's all COVID, but I do think how you take the field, how you prepare, because really the bottom line is we've seen two teams be suffocating on defense, Georgia and Clemson. I'm sorry. All right? Now I think people are a little, are having a little bit of a knee jerk reaction to Alabama. Alabama's done this before guys. If you remember, they've done it to Ole Miss before and lost. Okay. They did win the game. They've done it with Texas A&M. All right. And lost and then done it again with Texas A&M and won. But what they haven't done is let it become a trend. I think before we start freaking out at Alabama on defense, because I think we're, we are, we're not giving enough credit to how good old this is on offense. And they are really good on offense is unless Alabama does this for two to three weeks in a row, let's tap the brakes a little bit on, on where they're at. I think they'll end up being uh, just fine. Just to add to, to what Tom was saying too, here's the thing too, uh, with the preseason, you know, that they, they didn't have spring practice or teams got very little spring practice in, but then there was almost like an OTA session with a ball with no pads that happened for two yeah. weeks before they started all of the preseason camp. And, and what's that Tom, that's routes against air. That's seven on seven. That's quarterbacks yeah. and receivers getting in a groove. Um, and the defensive guys can learn their assignments and stuff, but it's still not like putting on the pads, going out there and playing defense. No. Uh, and I think that's kind of contributed a little bit uh, to maybe some of these passing games, some of these offenses being way ahead right now. Just that extra two yeah. weeks worth of getting in sync. I wouldn't. I wouldn't disagree with that in any way, shape, or form. And then on top of it, you're right. The offenses are ahead, but what is football? It's a collision sport. Yeah. It's a contact sport. So you can put all these guys in space, and you, if you got a quarterback that knows where to go with the ball, and you're going to say, okay, I'm going to get Jalen Waddle matched up inside, and you got a safety covering down. Well, good luck. <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that that that's the thing. It's like. That's why I look at the Big 12 and I say, okay, well, what makes Kansas State and Iowa State different? Well, a couple of things. 
They don't put themselves in a position to give up big plays and they tackle the ball in front of them. All right. That compensates for maybe not having the same level of player that an Oklahoma or a Texas or a TCU has. And that's why they're able to steal wins and compete at a high level. And the SEC, which has long been a line of scrimmage league, all right, LSU, I don't think anybody understands what's happening at LSU right now. All right. They're we'll down. That in a sec, yeah. yeah. Auburn had tremendous losses on defense. And you see, they're kind of scrambling. They're trying to reboot a little bit. Um, I think Alabama, over the course of time, will be fine. Florida's struggling right now with a lot of new faces. Um, Tennessee, I think, is coming along, but they're not good enough and they're too deep yet. So it might just be a bit of a, a, a recycling with some teams defensively in this league. And we haven't seen that in a long time. And when something happens, guys, to Alabama the way it did, because it's Alabama, it becomes magnified. Because right. you don't see it. It's not, it doesn't happen. So when it does happen, everybody's so got their socks blown off because it's rare. So it stands out more as opposed to if that happened to, you know, Arkansas or maybe it happened to Kentucky years back when they weren't any good. Well, it, it happened to Alabama this weekend. It's happened to LSU multiple times. And I think what we discovered. Uh, in full effect, with all due respect to Kellen Mond and A&M's offense, Florida doesn't have a defense right now. I think we underestimated some of the losses they had from that D-line a year ago. Yeah. Uh, they, they just – they damn Owen's saying they're going to make changes, but I don't know what changes you're going to make at this point. Your personnel is your personnel. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're not adding players. You're only subtracting with COVID yeah. and injuries. They need to get old. They need to get old fast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's hard. And that's why from the beginning, I thought Georgia was a team to beat in the East and I'm, I'm going to stay with that. I don't think Florida has a championship defense, but this is a quote from Kirk Herbstreit, kind of what we're all talking about here. And I, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. He says, when I watch some of these SEC defenses, I just look at guys like Derek Stingley of LSU, who's a great talent, he has zero interest in tackling, zero interest for being accountable in that regard. And if your best players are doing that, that's going to filter down. I think it's a combination of COVID, uh, COVID quarantine style of practicing, not really buying in, not really caring as much as a group. Because when you watch Clemson, you see buy-in, you see what that's supposed to be. I don't care who's on the field. I just know I'm going to see results. I listen to you. I, I love you guys uh, Sunday morning, you and uh, Barrett Salee. Uh, usually that's either a travel day for me or I'm in my car doing something and I, I catch that and I've heard you justifiably so and we've done it on this podcast blast Florida State the toxicity and the, the talk about no buy-in uh, so we've, we've become accustomed to seeing that in Tallahassee we're not used to seeing that at LSU I mean I, that's no. that's a pretty strong comments from from Kirk there what what do you make of all that well, if you're going to base those comments on what has transpired on the field, on the defensive side of the football, it's hard to argue with it. They don't tackle. They are out of position. I mean, when was the last time you saw an LSU defense give up explosive plays? I'm not talking about plays of 10 to 15 yards. I'm talking about 20, 40, 60. And then when somebody is in position, there's very little effort to make the stop. That, you know, that, what happened to that team last year was one of those magical once-in-a-lifetime scenarios where no matter what they did, and don't get me wrong, I'm not diminishing how good they were. They were talented, but it was like at every everything they touched turned to gold. And then you have an entire offseason where everybody's patting you on the back and telling you how good you are, and, you know, there's questions, but it's LSU. They've recruited well, which they have. 
But what you can't carry over is you can't carry over a locker room and you can't carry over chemistry. That's created a new each and every year. Now, the foundation of the principles of your program, like Kirk's referencing with Clemson, sometimes that can take a decade to develop. In fact, in Clemson's case, it almost did take close to that, where there's a standard that you play to. I think, you know, with LSU, considering their personnel losses, their coaching staff losses, could you expect there to be an adjustment? Yes. Do you expect them to be incompetent on that side of the ball? Absolutely not. It's, it's unacceptable. I mean, it, it really, really is. And uh, there doesn't look like there's many answers in sight right now. No, I, I don't see them. And I, and I, I think a lot of defenses, JC, in this league are, are just the answers don't appear to be in sight for 2020. They're just going to have to grin and bear it. And some teams are going to have to try and outscore everybody. Yeah. And look, I, I do think that there are some defenses in the league that, that look really good. Georgia to me is the, you know, I, I'd, I'd be hard pressed to find a better defense in college football right now. Uh, you know, I, I think Kentucky, Kentucky, kind of ran, you know, Ole Miss sort of got them. But um, I think, you know, what they did against Mississippi State was impressive. And then they did slow Auburn uh, in the first week. And uh, I think they well, – they don't turn the ball over. They beat Auburn. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. They could beat Auburn if they don't turn the ball over. Yeah, I mean, their problems are basically yeah. offensive. So, you know, and, and Tennessee's had their moments too. I, I was a little disappointed in Tennessee's defense overall – uh, in the Georgia game, you know, completely because I thought their offense actually had some better moments and and, and stuff like that. But I mean, all is not lost. And, and Tom's right about Alabama. If something happens down there and it's out of the ordinary, and it's it's like an earthquake, you know? Yeah. Because uh, they they've just really had very little to worry about, you know, for the past decade and some change. Um, and I think too, you know, you're right. Ole Miss doesn't get enough credit. And you look at look at what they've done. Florida, and I agree with Mike. Florida's defense and what it could be. Um, you know, but then you look and they went to Kentucky and put 42 on the board, and then they played Alabama. And I would say Alabama and Kentucky, as SEC defenses go right now, are, are up there in the upper third or half of the league at least. So I think I think you're right. You know, Ole Miss's offense isn't getting enough credit at this point, uh, whether the people People trying to wonder what what's wrong with Bama's defense. I have a sneaky suspicion that this weekend in Tuscaloosa, we are going <laughs> to see some defense, guys. I have a sneaky suspicion we're going to see some defense. Well, not only that, too, JC, is the style of offense that Georgia runs is much more of what Nick Saban would prefer to defend. Mm-hmm. Much more, <laughs> no so, doubt. Yeah, we'll see. Something's got to give. Well, yeah, I, I don't. I think people lost track of the fact that first of all, uh, Matt Luke is a, an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty away from probably still having his job in Oxford. You're right. You're uh, right. Uh, if a certain somebody doesn't lift his leg and imitate a dog urinating in the end zone, they probably win that game. You can't fire Matt Luke off of, of a, a victory in that situation. His recruiting was obviously good. Look at the weapons they have on offense. Oh, yeah. Luke they recruited very well. <laughs> Those are not Lane Kiffin guys. The problem with Ole Miss and this, I, I've done a bunch of games there the last few years and nothing ever changes. They, no matter who the coordinator is, they're completely overmatched on defense. I mean, since Hugh Freeze and some of those guys that he got, however he got them, uh, yeah. since since the, that chapter ended, they have been completely overmatched on that side of the ball. Oh, I got a good point, guys. Guess where they are? Guess where their defensive players are playing? And you'd never think this. What's Miss, that? Mississippi State. 
Yeah, yeah. Mississippi State's got what I think is a great young defensive coordinator. Um, I think his name's Nick Vanette. Uh, he's from San Diego State. Uh, I know you're familiar with San Diego State, Tom. Yeah. Uh, you were asking me earlier where, where I first heard about Tom, and I did see – I saw him play at Georgia Tech, and that's when I first heard his name. But I also used to stay up and watch San Diego State games, and his dad, Al, was the coach of the Aztecs for a while. Um, but uh, Mississippi State, you know, if you look at their recruiting – uh, I guess Ole Miss head to head for some of those top JUCO kids for some of those top uh, it's Nick uh, for some of those top um, uh, in-state high school kids. Mississippi State won those share of battles almost quietly. The later latter years of Mullen uh, and the Moorhead one year. Uh, he, had, so, he had two good recruiting classes. Yeah, and Moorhead so that's did. that that's yeah. that's the deal. There is like you know you look at it. They, those schools are so dependent on talent from the Magnolia State that you look at, at Mississippi State. Hey, they got a pretty good defense. Even though we all, we kind of just look at it like oh Mike Leach, Mike Leach, Mike Leach. That that defense is pretty good. Um, it's Zach Arnett is the guy's name. I don't know why I said Nick Vanette. Zach Arnett, um, who I think is one of the best young coordinators in football. You know, so, so maybe that tells you a little bit why Ole Miss has struggled over the years because if you trace it back, you know, Mississippi State's been getting guys. And their defense is actually pretty good, even though, you know, they're struggling right now one and two. So their defense is good. Ole Miss's offense is good. Ole Miss's defense is awful. And all of a sudden, Mississippi State's offense is awful. And how how do you figure what has happened with Mike Leach and that offense? For I mean, they were the flavor of the week nationally with that victory over LSU, which we now know is not nearly as impressive maybe as originally thought. Now Costello can't find anybody other than opposing secondaries, and they can't score. 13 picks in three games. First of all, here's the deal with Mississippi State, and and this is it really, for the most part, been the deal with the air raid offense when it's had to play quality line of scrimmage programs, okay? They really struggle. That's why it's been a 12, Pac-12 minute scheme rarely playing somebody that up front can beat you up just schedule and, and create some problems, which is exactly what Jimmy Lake did at the university of Washington in the pac 12. They got really good because they were comparable with the other teams in the league and you could get in the scoring races and people would try to defend them. And Washington state got better than those people, except Washington, especially on the defensive side. And then you look at, you look at the opener, LSU's taking their LSU. What are we going to do, right? We're going to rush four and five. We're going to we're going to play man defense. No, you're not. Now look at the the next two weeks: Arkansas and Kentucky. They rush three, rush four, drop seven, drop eight, and Arkansas has nine yards. Excuse me, Mississippi State has nine yards rushing against um, LSU, eighty-seven yards rushing against Arkansas and essentially no semblance of a run game versus Kentucky. Well, you can't sustain that when you're, when your quarterback is under duress versus three and four man rush, you've got some real, real problems. So I, the recipes out there, everybody's watched it and all they're going to do is see more of what they've seen over the last two weeks. And both of those games have resulted in losses. And like I said, 13 interceptions. Uh, it, it's been uh, anything but pretty right now in, in Starkville. And, and it, it, I liken it to any other great coach that has maybe a little bit of um, a, a wart either on his personality or sometimes on the results. When you're winning, 
Mike Leach is entertaining, is funny as hell. He is so likable. <laughs> and then when you're losing, you talk to some of those other fan bases, all that really gets old in a hurry. Like it, it's just, it, it's still a you know, win or lose league and personality and style points don't matter if you're losing, especially the way they've been losing. We'll see if they can right the ship. He's one of four new coaches in the SEC of the four, Tom, which one excites you the most? Well, right now, I think you'd probably have to say it's, it's Lane Kiffin. Um, and maybe secondly, it's the job Sam Pittman has done. That thing was a dumpster fire at the end. I mean, you talk about kids checking out, coaches checking out, a uh, team that would take the field and had no regard or pride for the university or themselves for that matter. And outside of Felipe Franks coming in there, he'd essentially taken the same roster and, and really infused it with a lot of energy and a lot of belief, a lot of buy-in. But if to JC's point, and he's right on the defensive side of the football, Mississippi state has won the recruiting battles. If that starts to get flipped in state with the offensive personnel that Lane Kiffin's always going to have access to because of the offense, the proofs in the pudding guys are going to want to come play there. Quarterbacks are going to want to come play there. They're the team probably with the highest ceiling of, of the teams and the, and the, and the new coaches uh, in the sec, in my opinion. I would go with that, and I agree with Tom. And I've been, you know, I've been kind of talking up Sam Pittman uh, here on the podcast and elsewhere since they hired him. I don't think anybody cut cartwheels uh, when he was hired in Arkansas, and Arkansas was just so bad. But you know, I think he's got a, a really strong group of coordinators. Uh, everybody knows Kendall Bryles. Uh, does a really good job. And then Barry Odom, people remember Barry Odom, the head coach at Missouri, yeah. that was kind of a 500 guy. They don't remember uh, Tom Barry Odom at Memphis under Justin Fuente when he would yeah. take less and do more with it and completely shut teams down. Uh, and I, I think, I think, I think that staff has done a really good job. And I, you know, you got to just kind of, who knows how it will work out long-term, but you know, Hunter, you check the AD there deserves a lot of credit for kind of slicing through the hype and getting a guy that could make yeah. it work quick uh, in that situation. I know a lot of Arkansas fans, so I'm, I'm happy, happy, happy for them that, that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, I mean, I'll be honest with you. It was a non-plus hire to me. I, I'm not going to sit here and tell Everybody you. Everybody thought it was. Everybody I, thought it was. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's an offensive line coach for crying out loud. But then again, as we talked about last week on this podcast, nobody thought Dabo Sweeney really was a big-time hire when Clemson got him. Uh, if right. you take away the debacle that was Coach Orgeron at, at Ole Miss as a head coach, before that he was basically a position coach. It can happen if you surround yourself with really good coordinators. Uh, and, and if you have some of that buy-in psychological uh, things that some, coach has, some coaches have and some don't. I mean, Dabo obviously has that, <laughs> plus, plus, plus. I don't know enough about Sam Pittman's personality to know if he's that big of a difference maker in the locker room. All I know is he's getting results. And I didn't think Arkansas would win a game this year. And all of a sudden, they should be. They should have two wins, including one against Auburn. So, uh, kudos to the job he has done. And I, I mean, Arkansas—that that is a fan base, as JC mentioned. Uh, they deserve better. 
it's it's a beautiful part of the country. It's a great program, great tradition. They didn't deserve to lose twenty in a row and be the laughing stock of the league. So I, I, I'm pulling for them. I mean, I hope they continue to uh, ascend, if you will, under under a new regime. Uh, Tom, I, when you go back to your other crew, I know everything's been switched around with COVID, but uh, with you and I guess it was uh, what McElroy and and, uh, and Dave Pash. You guys did a lot of Big 12 games, right? I mean, you guys were kind of all over the map. You weren't uh, – We were before. always – yeah. Yeah, we were always noon ESPN or ABC or 3.30 ESPN or ABC, which technically never went past the central time zone right. to, to play in those windows. So, yeah, I mean, we would get them – I actually – I had I had TCU getting upset by Iowa State. Um, I've had a lot of really good down to the wire games in that league. Yeah. So I, that that's one of the things I like about having a guy like yourself on. That's, you know, you, you, you're not one conference specific. You, you, you know, the overall landscape. I did big, big 12 games for four years on Fox and, and learned a lot about the league. Cause you know, my, my whole background's in the SEC. Uh, and what I learned is, compared to a conference like the Pac-12, they don't have the handicaps. They're not playing games in the middle of the night when no one's watching. They don't have apathetic mm-hmm. fan bases like some of the Pac-12 schools do. They right. don't have overbearing lockdown governors, uh, which is obviously relevant this year. They don't have a commissioner mm-hmm. who made a debacle out of the TV rights situation years ago, uh, <laughs> like when Larry Scott did. And yet, we're looking at the Big 12 now a, a, a league that it's it's been joked about for years. They don't play defense. Ha ha ha. Well, so what? I mean, if, as long as Oklahoma is getting in the playoff every year, but Texas has been down. They lose again in heartbreaking fashion. Uh, you've got three, four losses to the Sun Belt. It looks to be like another year where the Big Twelve is going to be shut out of the playoff. I mean, we're almost talking about the Big Twelve in the same way we're talking about the Pac Twelve, and that it's not in the same league. SEC, ACC, Big Ten, and I can't figure out why because that's a school. That's a conference that has a lot of schools that have a lot going for it. I know why. Tell me, because their player pool and recruiting doesn't offer up any front people on the defensive side of the ball. For whatever reason, if you transplanted five states in the state of Florida in the southeast and you took that population and put it in Iowa, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas let's say Nebraska and New Mexico. All right. Then all of a sudden you'd have different teams on defense in that league than you'd have in the sec. And then the sec would have the problems with their defensive personnel up front. There's just no guys. And you can see it with the eye test. When I say that, when you're on the field in pregame warmup and you're looking at, you know, and I'm not just selecting a team here. It's pretty much by an artist, including Oklahoma, Texas is the team that looks closest to being big and physical, but not across the board, but even Oklahoma on the smaller end. All right. TCU really small at corner, shorter guys that run really, really well. And then you get on the sideline and you look at Ohio state and you look at Clemson, let's just say you look at a, you know, even a Mississippi state's always been a really big physical football team. There's a difference in body types and the difference is up front. One of the, why can't Oklahoma win a college football playoff game? Because every time they get in the playoff, they're playing somebody that can get them off schedule on defense, can rush the passer, and make them somewhat one-dimensional. There's nobody else in their league that can do that consistently. Now, we've seen in the Big 12, there's a lot of any given Saturday scenarios. Like, everybody's hanging their hat on Oklahoma State. I guarantee you Oklahoma State is going to lose to somebody. 
Don't lose to somebody. Somebody's running the table in that league. You watch. And so, uh, you know, for me, it's, it's the recruiting base of front people. The Pac-12 has got the same problem. Mm-hmm. You know, there's Kayvon Thibodeau in the Pac-12, and that's it. Try just off the top of your head when you're looking at the Pac-12. It's hard to name a dominant defensive lineman on any of the teams in that league outside of that kid. And the ACC and the SEC, you can name seven. Right. Yeah, and you look, you look at it, too. The state of Texas, for some reason – you know, and look, there's always exceptions. I mean, there's, there's a miles Garrett that comes along or whoever, you know, Texas does not necessarily like, you know, once you get past East Texas and you go towards the the big population centers, there's not a lot of defensive linemen. You'd be surprised, you know, compared to other schools or other States in the Southeast, California will get them too. But now, you know, there's an exodus, you know, when California has that special defensive lineman, they're either going to the Pacific Northwest uh, to play for Oregon or, or Washington, or then they're heading back east to Ohio State yeah. or down south to Clemson or wherever. And that used to be USD, and SC. USC has got to lose. Yeah, that kid won't go anywhere but SC. Exactly, and so now it, it, it's completely different. And and you're right. I've noticed this about Texas for a long time, even back when I was doing recruiting. You know, there, there was just something a little bit, you know, a couple of inches here, some wing, a wingspan there. You know, good players, good solid players, but they didn't look like the guys back in Louisiana, right. and Mississippi, and Alabama. So that's that's a very good point there. That's a very good point. You, you know, the other thing too is on average. Uh, People, the state of Texas alone will sign roughly 375 kids in a recruiting cycle to an FBS letter of intent. All right. That is a huge number. The question is, can you avoid signing the finished product? Cause Texas is notorious for producing guys that are the exact same guy as a senior that they were as a sophomore. And then you get them into college and guess what? They're the exact same guy as a senior in college that they were as a senior in high school. And that's how the TCUs and the Oklahoma States and for a long time, Missouri, when they were in the big 12, mm-hmm. they would go take the guy that Texas and Oklahoma were overlooking. All right. And develop that player into a really good player because he had a high ceiling for development. He wasn't overtrained. He wasn't tapped out. He wasn't a finished product. And that's how those other teams, that's why the Gary Patterson's of the world, you know, make the livings that they make. They do a great job of identifying and projecting forward a guy that's going to be a really good player um, that maybe everybody else overlooked. Talking with Tom Lugan, Bill, and I know we're, we're already over time. We'll, we'll wrap it up here with uh, one more question, and then we'll let you get on to your, your myriad of duties uh, and activities and recreational habits and everything that is Tom Lugan. <laughs> I wish I had recreational habits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell me all, right, this time of year. Um, JC and I have talked about this for a, a number of years, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. And in a way, this does tie back to another one of your specialties in, in recruiting. It wasn't that long ago that Michigan shared a national title. Nebraska won three national titles. Southern Cal was a powerhouse out west. Texas won a national title in 05. But now we have what we refer to on this podcast as the cabal, which is the same handful of schools competing for the championship every year. And I think some people were getting hopeful. Well, COVID is the ultimate wild card year. This is the year that stunning things will happen and there'll be a dark horse here and a dark horse there. You know what? It's the same movie. It's Alabama. It's Georgia. Clemson. Ohio State when the Big Ten starts. 
and then maybe Oklahoma, but probably not. But I mean, we're just, I know everything is cyclical, but I don't see us getting out of this cycle anytime soon. Tell me I'm wrong. No, I don't see it either. And it kind of goes towards the whole discussion of name, image, and likeness. And people can talk about that all they want. It's not going to level the playing field. The best players are still going to go to the best programs. And if you include name, image, and likeness, guess what? Those best programs have more resources than everybody else. Right. So it's just like, it's just like Gene Smith at Ohio state. He came out and said it. I mean, he, he had no bones about it. He goes, if, if we're Ohio state and you're school X, guess what? We got a, we got a lot more coin in the pocket than the rest of you guys do. So I don't see that changing, you know, overly significantly. And I'll, I'll end with this guys. And I don't know if anybody on your podcast has said it. I said it on college football live. I know it's not popular, but the Big Ten, in my opinion, I think part of what they're attempting to do from a league perspective is a total sham. How in the world are right, we've watched the last five to six weeks of, of college football, all right? We've seen postponements. We've seen cancellations. We've seen contact tracing and quarantining and positive tests. Every one of those teams has open dates to reschedule games and a 14-day quarantine. The Big Ten has no rescheduled dates and an added week onto their quarantine. I'm not so sure all of this isn't politics by so that the big 10, if it doesn't work, can fall back on. I told you so we should have never play. And I commend the head coaches. I commend the parents. I commend the players because they're the reason the big 10 is attempting to play. And gosh, I want them to play. I want them to be in the mix, but I've also had these conversations with these coaches the last five weeks. And I've heard what they've gone through. And I've heard well, the contact tracing nightmares, which by the way, are actually worse than the positive test because they treat the contact tracing guy, even if he tests negative as if he's positive. So he goes into quarantine too. And so somebody needs to explain to me the logic of the big 10 and how they think they're going to do this by adding an extra week of quarantine and not having rescheduling dates. <laughs> Good luck with that. You're preaching to the choir that, that no got political early and, oh. and, and they couldn't get off it. And then you had a first year commissioner who had no background on college campuses and an administration role, uh, either with a university or with a conference. And it was a mess. And right they now, they're the, we're going to try, we're going to try or make it look like we're trying. Yeah. And if our coaches and our staff members and our kids want to go gung ho, full speed ahead. Great. Good luck to them. But try meeting these parameters. Cause it's going to be darn near impossible. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's uh, one of these days we're going to look back at how all that was handled, and uh, I don't think it's going to reflect favorably on on that particular league. Uh, Tom, uh, give us a little breakdown. Uh, first of all, what game you got this Saturday? When are you on the college football uh, studio show, and when can we catch you on satellite radio? I'm done reading your whole resume. So I do satellite radio, doing a lot of I'm like the on call physician. I just fill in every time <laughs> I'm asked, but I do I do every uh, every Tuesdays from three to six on ACC Today. Every Sunday, 9 to 12 at Paris League, College Sports Sunday, where we recap all of college football, do college football live every Thursday heading into the weekend. Um, and depending on the studio or the hallway, I will be uh, in Charlotte uh, with uh, Tulsa and Cincinnati. You know, it's so weird, guys, because I've, I've seen now, we've seen USCF lose. I've got Tulsa coming up, who's really good on defense. We've got Cincinnati, who's ranked number eight in the country. I'm still scratching my head over that one. <laughs> and I saw BYU last week, and I'm telling you right now, BYU is legit. Yeah. That quarterback is playing out of his mind. So it's going to be interesting to see another top-ranked group of five team 
because to your guys' point, you guys mentioned it. Is this one of those wild, wacky years where some group of five teams somehow runs the table, schedules a power five team late or something, and finds themselves in, in, in position to be included? We'll, we'll find out. BYU's got some open dates. If, if, if yeah. somebody's willing to play them later in the year, they've yeah. got room for you. And I, I, think, I think their schedule right now, unless they add a game or something's going to be tough, but uh, you're right, Tom. They got a good team. Their lines of scrimmage are good. I, yeah. you know, I, they get, legit. get into a playoff game against a team that doesn't take them seriously. I, I, I don't think they would look like they <laughs> absolutely didn't belong, you know. So, isn't that how it great always happens? Yeah, Even if it's the New Year's Six or the Group of Five, the one team doesn't want to be there. Yeah, yeah. The Group of Five teams going in there and it's their Super Bowl, man. Always happens. <laughs> always happens. Yeah, that, uh, that is. There's always there's always some teams that do not buy in on the bowl game. That's yep. for sure. Luke's maybe in another seven years we'll uh, reunite in the booth for another <laughs> action game or something. All right, man. Looking forward to it, guys. I appreciate you right. having me on. Have a great rest of the week. You got it. Appreciate the work you do, bud. We'll talk to you down the road. Relax. Ride with Founders. When you refinance your new or used vehicle from another financial institution, Founders will beat your existing rate by 1% to a minimum of 1.99% for autos and 4.99% for RVs. Or purchase a new or used vehicle and Founders will deposit $100 into your loyalty select account. Lower your rate or cash in the bank. Get started on your refi or buy today at foundersfcu.com slash refi or buy. Membership qualification required. Terms and conditions apply. Founders Federal Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA. If you are saving for a down payment to buy a home, you may be able to drop your savings goal from 20% to less than 5%. Ameris Bank offers a wide variety of loan solutions with low and no down payment options. With a quick consultation, the man, the myth, Stuart Wingo, loan officer at Ameris Bank, can help you determine which option best fits your financial needs and gets you into your dream home. If you're looking for a variety of products, competitive rates, and exceptional service, call Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. can also check them out online, amerisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo. Save thousands of dollars today by simply calling Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You'll be glad that you did. Again, special thanks to Tom Luganbill. Uh, JC and I have known Tom Throughout the years, uh, JC, you on the, the the recruiting trail. Obviously, you two guys were two of the the prominent uh, national recruiting guys there for a while. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I've known him. I've actually had a chance to work with him in the booth on on television. We we have the same agent. In fact, I I told uh, Tom that he deserved a, a good agent when he was looking for one because I, I thought he was quite frankly underutilized. Um, now he gets to flex his muscle both as a, a studio guy and also as a you, you don't get to see that again COVID's flipped all of our worlds uh, in broadcasting which I realize is, is uh, pretty minuscule in the bigger picture of things but Tom as the field analyst not your typical sideline reporter with that crew with Pash and McElroy was phenomenal and uh, I hope I hope they get back to that yeah, uh, he can do that because you do see, and that's the way the SCC network with their uh, nightly crew works. Cole Kublik, who we've had here on the podcast as well, Cole just as a former lineman, he's down there on the field. He sees things you don't see in the booth, and he gives you a different perspective. That's what Lugs does when he's uh, doing that same role. Yeah, and I've seen him in all kinds of weather and all kinds of different stadiums, and especially that yeah. noon slot. I worked with Tom, with Tom. I guess I, I worked for. ESPN on the recruiting end right after I started the big spur in 2007. And then 
2008-ish, I joined their recruiting team as a recruiting reporter, um, helped with the Under Armour All-American game when it was getting started and all that. Tom was a huge part of that. Just a, a guy that is a joy to work with, that really knows his stuff, that does not take himself too seriously. Bingo. Uh, does not all. take himself too seriously. That's a key point. And, and he, he's just kind of one of the guys, and, uh, and, and it's just so awesome. You know, whenever I talked to him, I was on with uh, Tom and Chris Childers, I think. Gosh, I was in Atlanta, Mike. Uh, where was I? I think I was, I was out somewhere with you when I, when I, I think we were at the, one of those taco places. And uh, I, I went <laughs> that and took that, right? I went and took that uh, interview with him and Chris Childers on, uh, he and Chris Childers on Sirius XM. That's the last time I've talked to him, except yeah. I did exchange texts with him about six months ago about some cowboy boots. He's, he wears these cowboy boots, and I won't mention them because they can advertise with us if they want to plug. That's but right. They're That's supposed right. to be really awesome, and so I was getting some input from him on that. But he, he's a great guy, and um, always love to catch up with Tom. Yeah, uh, the, the, we, the only people we're plugging in the clothing industry is uh, Brent Skinner of BP Skinner Clothiers, dot yes. com. That's all. Uh, I don't know if they've got the cowboy boots, but they got everything else. Trust me. Sure. Um, okay, so we went along with Tom, and I figured that might happen because Tom's a great guest. And um, you know, when you get into a flow with one of our, like we we had uh, Andy Staples. I I told him twenty minutes. We wound up having him on almost an hour because we couldn't get Andy off, and I didn't want to. Yeah, and cut him off. Yo, he was he was great. Uh, so that means a little less time for us, but that's fine. So let me let me do this since the, the our loose format we <laughs> we one of the most loosely formatted shows out there. That's the way we uh, we roll around here. It's even looser now because we got limited time. So here's what um these are my random thoughts. I did this last week, JC, and I'll let you just pick what you want out of this and roll with it. Some random observations from the world of college football on Saturday. I'm going to start off with a quote from uh, a gentleman on the athletic, and I'm really sorry, but I've already forgot his name, but he was talking about Lane Kiffin and Lane Kiffin is an interesting dude because, and by the way, never has a coach been so celebrated and revered after a loss than Lane Kiffin after the loss to Alabama. In fact, some of his fans were giving him an ovation on the way out, and he said afterward, like, I'm not used to that, man. We, we didn't win the game. We shouldn't be applauding. But let's face it, Ole Miss, when you, when you hang up those many yards and points on a Nick Saban defense uh, with a, a program that's been – basically mediocre now for for a while that that does deserve a wow but kiffin now is becoming celebrated he's i i, I dare say he's become likable and, and i don't mean old miss fans i mean of course they're gonna like him i mean like to, to your average college football fan it's kind of like spurrier at south carolina like they hated them at florida and then he then you kind of missed them college football in the sec wasn't quite the same when he was gone and it was when he was winning at south carolina like people were pulling for him people that ordinarily hated him i look at lane kiffin the same way lane kiffin and this was the quote to see how lane kiffin finally is so comfortable in his own skin skin after his myriad of metamorphoses golden boy entitled brat glorious failure pariah and at last free spirit was that uplifting 
And I think that's a great way of putting it because Lane Kiffin has been considered all those things. Uh, anytime you're the son of a coach, which by the way, our previous guest, Tom Luganville was, but Tom wasn't afforded the same opportunities that Lane was. I mean, Lane was given an NFL job at the tender age of what? 30 something without tremendous credentials at that point. Um, uh, you know, he got uh, an opportunity at Southern Cal. He got an opportunity at Tennessee, and then of course FAU. But I mean, b- before FAU, Lane's, Lane's stock was not real good. Uh, I had my doubts, quite honestly. I mean, I've said on this podcast, I'm not sure if uh, the stake matches the sizzle. So, I, I, if I was like an AD, I don't know if Lane Kiffin was going to be high on my list of hires. Because we've seen it before where there's a lot of buzz surrounding Lane and he's got this offensive genius tag and, you know, he worked with Nick Saban and then, then, then him and Nick, there was clearly a rift. And, uh, but at Tennessee, he was what, seven and six the one year he was there mm-hmm. did not do particularly well in the NFL did not do. I mean, the resume is not as successful as maybe uh, the overall conversation is that being said, I believe you're not destined to follow one path. Uh, his career arc, if you will, could very well be on the uptick. And going back to our conversation with Tom, if they start recruiting in Oxford, and boy, who, who would not want to play for Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss right now? If you're, if you're growing up in the state of Mississippi, you mean to tell me there's not some buzz surrounding that program? Uh, Lane Kiffin is more mature, is a better coach, and is more, dare I say, likable. So that was one thought. Um, well, go ahead. I'll get your thoughts on that, and then I'll get to my myriad of uh, short topics here. I think people, too, misunderstand Lane Kiffin in terms of, like, what, what is Lane Kiffin's offense, and, and when has he had great you know, coordinators that really kind of crank it up a notch? His offensive coordinator is a guy, Mike, named Jeff Lebby, who was the OC under Josh Heupel at UCF. He's Art Bryle's son-in-law. Now, think about his really good first team at FAU that won the conference championship. Uh, who was his co- uh, coordinator there? It was Kendall Bryles. Um, so, so when you look at him over his career, you know, yeah, he's had some some good go of it. You know, running his offensive system, but when he adds that extra octane into it. Uh, it really becomes something special because then you have a blending of ideas that really, really work. You know, he's not doing the same thing uh, at, at Ole Miss that he did at Alabama. He's not even doing the same thing that Alabama does now. Um, it, it's a lot different and a lot faster and a lot more, you know, Big 12-esque <laughs> because of what he's done. And I also think, you know, the guy was 34 years old when he got the the Raiders job, which is – which is, you know, to, to do my Lou Holtz impersonation, it's awfully difficult. It's awfully, awfully difficult job. Um, you know, I think if he'd have stayed at Tennessee, um, who knows what would have happened because he had a great staff and they were recruiting very well, including one Ed Orgeron. Uh, but he went home, went out to Southern Cal, which I, I think it probably is a better job than Tennessee. Uh, and, you know, they were just in a tough situation being on probation. Uh, and then he goes to FAU, and he's almost this guy now that, that's just become this I don't care kind of legendary guy. You know, his personality is such that it's just like, you know, from the needling, he, he's got that kind of, I don't know, frat boy disposition, 
where it's just like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go needle Lane Kiffin. Or, I mean, I, you know, like my buddy was talking to me the other day. House, it's Lane Kiffin. Yeah, we, we were like, who knows what's going to happen in Alabama Ole Miss. You know, Lane Kiffin may moon the entire opposing sideline. You just don't know. I mean, that suit alone that he wore to Kentucky a couple of weeks ago that went viral. Unbelievable. So, um, you know, and look, guys like college kids these days like guys like that. They like football to be fun. Uh, Ole Miss football, especially on defense, it's not very fun right now. But on offense, they're they're really having a lot of fun, and um, I think that is going to help them recruit. And if you contrast that to Mike Leach in that state, now Mike Leach did keep Tony Hughes, who's uh, one of the best assistant coach recruiters in the state of Mississippi history. But if you contrast that in that state, Mike Leach is a fun coach, and we all think he's hilarious and like him. But as far as kids go, you know, if you think about it, he's kind of a taskmaster. He kind of called everybody out this week and said, hey, if you're not committed, we don't want you, you know, and and all that. So that's going to be an interesting dynamic and contrast down there, Oxford versus Starkville here in the coming years. Yeah, yeah. In terms of who's, I'm who's going to win those battles, yeah. I, I think you're spot on. I mean, Lane, Lane Kiffin is kind of, you know, he's he's hip. Yeah, Mike yeah. Lee is a guy as lovable as he is. It's, you know, I remember he was at Texas Tech the same time Bobby Knight was. And the two have something in common. I mean, they both can be funny as hell and, and they're intriguing. But there's, you know, there's another side. And when things aren't going well, this is not the first time Mike Leach has done something like this. And it doesn't always go over real well with the players in that locker room. Mm-hmm. So you have, you have to be careful. I mean, there are a few coaches I thought if, if you could have a take back, I mean, this is why you have a cooling off period, right? Uh, because after a tough loss, you need to really just take a deep breath before you start talking to the media. Yeah. Um, I, I thought some of the thing I thought when Nick Saban was basically saying that they were stealing signs, uh, I, I, and then Nick has walked that back as well as he should. That's not why <laughs> Ole Miss scored a bunch of points. Uh, I don't even know how you're stealing signs when you're, I mean, they're snapping the ball with 31 seconds left on the play clock. That, that's, that's some really quick sign stealing. Mm-hmm. If you're the offense there and then Dan Mullen right after a tough loss, I mean, He's basically hinting there's a lot more Texas A&M fans that were supposed to be there. Why don't we sell out the swamp? And then then Pat Forty made a big deal out of it. This column. Of course. Yeah, you know, and you're like, ah, guys, come on. Yes. Well, I mean, Pat Pat has has, has been forced to have somewhat of a positive disposition about college football for a while. You know, again, he's just, he's got that, he's got that article all written in case, something goes tragically wrong here. And then uh, he can't wait to say, I, I told you so we never should have played him and his, some of his brethren there. But um, look, it was, it was, if Dan Mullen could t- walk that one back, I think he would too. Uh, there, there were a few things that were said in the SEC after tough losses or in the case of Alabama, uh, a, a more competitive win. And let me just say this. We used to do a segment hits and misses. Uh, I'll be the first one to tell you I missed on that. I, I told you that Ole Miss was going to score some points because yeah. they do have weapons, but I didn't think that game would be a fourth quarter game. No way, I, no how. And not that kind it's of drag beat either. I thought, yeah, you know, like, I thought it'd kind of be like uh, Ole Miss's game with Florida, where it was, you know, fifty-one thirty-five, but you, you never really felt like Ole Miss was in a chance to win. You know, had a chance to really win. 
Right. Right. Uh, so here's some of my other uh, observations. Uh, Arkansas should be two and one. That whole ruling on that play, which was not overturned because the, the way the rule is written, and it was explained well by the SEC. I don't think it made anybody feel better. It has to be an immediate and clear recovery if there's a whistle blown, right? So you, you see some players just stop. And then you see a couple of Arkansas guys go, well, wait a minute, this might actually be a fumble. And eventually an Arkansas player does land on the football. If you remember, I actually called this game last year, the Missouri-South Carolina game. Do you remember the Ryan Holinsky play? Where he's trying to spike it. You called that game last year, Columbia, Missouri. I was going to ask you about it. Yeah. And, and And so he spikes the ball trying to throw it away. And it turns out to be a fumble because it much like the, the Bo Nix play, it's behind him. And so Missouri got a touchdown out of the deal. And, and, and that was even more of, there was no immediate and clear recovery. Like everybody just stopped, but Holinsky clearly threw it backwards and they gave him the touchdown. So I was that, that, that explanation, uh, it, it doesn't hold enough water to me. It, it just doesn't. So uh, I, I felt bad for, for Arkansas at the end of that game. Uh, SEC defenses, again, tackling awful. LSU looks completely lost. Uh, Todd Grantham's D, uh, yes, they blitz a lot, but it's more than that. Their D-line is not a factor right now. No penetration up front. Uh, and, and people will look at the stat line of that game and say, Kellen Mond, that's the Kellen Mond. The real story of that game was A&M ran all over Florida and then hit the big play pass plays when they need him. Kellen Mond was great, but uh, they've got two quality backs in Spiller and Smith and that offensive line manhandled Florida's front. That's what won them that game. OU has beaten Texas five out of the last six times now, despite despite losing the turnover battle 14 to five in that span. Mm. The turnover margin, not always the key Mississippi state through six intercept uh, interceptions. It's the first time in Leach's career. His offense was shut out. Again, the two points coming on his safety. Florida gate has given up over a hundred points in the last three games. That's the worst three game span for a Gator D since 1917. Uh, Art Bryles. We, 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 we talked about him. They did some things like Bama clearly has not seen. Big 12 saw it for years and couldn't stop it. But I think a, a lot of us were surprised that Alabama couldn't stop it. Uh, highest point total in an SEC weekend in history, 32 points per game. And, uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> how can I forget? Uh, every year we go through this where someone says after Miami, God forbid, wins two games, the U is back. The U is back, dog. No, the U's not back. Not clearly not in the same class as Clemson. It wasn't for a block field goal at the end of the half. That game would have been an, an embarrassing margin. Uh, Miami's just even with De'Ara King, uh, Clemson's at an entirely different level. That's it. Yeah, I, I, you know, those are good random thoughts. I, I'll point out the uh, the Clemson Miami thing, and, and I, I sort of felt that I didn't know Miami was quite ready to go in there and win, and and then they didn't, and it was sort of, you know, you kind of started to understand too while watching them why Brent Venables is 
you know, one of the best defense, probably the best defensive coordinator in college football. His defense isn't struggling right now. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. Nope. Um, Clemson and Georgia. They might be only two teams yeah. to play defense. I mean, you know, uh, so, you know, looking at it, I mean, Travis Etienne is just playing out of his mind. Trevor Lawrence is just so efficient and good. Uh, Braden Galloway, here we go. All you people that think Clemson is uh, loaded up with nothing but five stars, that's wrong. You have to evaluate well. Not everybody recruits like Alabama and Ohio State. Braden Galloway, three-star tight end from nearby Seneca, South Carolina. He had one offer. That was from Clemson. 74 receiving yards, two touchdowns, four catches for the Tigers. So, you know, looking down the road in the ACC, Mike, it's, it's you know, I don't think Notre Dame – I think Miami is more closer to Clemson right now than Notre Dame. Um, now, that game here in a couple of weeks is prime time in South Bend. Uh, you know, but I, you know, looking down the road, people were saying, well, Pitt could give them problems. I don't think, you know, Pitt, Virginia Tech, whoever, I, I don't, I don't really see a team that's going to give them any trouble until they get to the championship game. And if that opponent is North Carolina and for some reason last year, North Carolina knew how to play them and scheme them up. Uh, I think Jay Bateman, the North Carolina defensive coordinator, even though he gave up 45 points to Virginia Tech this past weekend, is one of the best in college football. Uh, I think they could be problematic in a championship game type of situation. Even at that, I have my doubts. I think Clemson's just too good. Um, you know, I, I just looking at the rest of the ACC again this year, I think that it is a better league than it has been. But I think a lot of these teams are still maybe a year away uh, from trying to take down the Tigers. Uh, I would certainly concur with that. Just uh, some headlines before we go into this week's slate of games. Uh, Vandy Mizzou became the first SEC game postponed, but again, because Greg Sankey came up with the perfect blueprint, unlike what the Big Ten and some others are trying to do, they've got a week reserved just for this occasion. So they will be playing on December 12th where there are no games scheduled. Uh, and we'll, we'll take care of business. Then I, I don't want to say anything, you know, um, flip about this. Like uh, this is the best news Vandy could have, but Vandy's in a, a world of hurt. Even if they're at full strength, they were competitive in week one, but uh, for the most part, they are now with Arkansas moving up. They are, are clearly the team that's most behind the eight ball in the SEC. We'll see how they regroup. Yeah, yeah, they only they only dressed fifty nine players for the South Carolina game, so they're yeah, struggling. and got yeah, just got completely um, uh, worn down. Uh, Florida has five new virus cases before the LSU game. That's going to be a story that's going to be uh, uh, constantly being updated between now and kickoff. Obviously on Saturday, the um, the Baylor AD says the outbreak that has postponed. Their game against Oklahoma State likely linked to a false negative. Oh, that's yeah. tough. How can you? Ah, that's tough. Yeah. That's really tough. Oh, um, the, the transfer thing. I don't know if you have that on your headlines. Trans, transfer thing. Um, uh, yeah, and I was going to ask Tom about that if we had more time. This has been, this has been in my opinion, uh, inevitable. 
the, the, you're now going to have the one-time transfer. This is going to pass. We all know NIL is 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 coming down the around the corner like a freight train. All the things that people uh, complained most about are are now being uh, eradicated again. In the case of this, like I, I doesn't bother me any. Um, but you're, you are going to have coaches recruiting players that are already on other rosters. Mm-hmm. They're just going to try and do it without getting caught. But that's going to happen. It happens in basketball with the grad transfers now. So um, <laughs> we'll see how that works out. Uh, I, I understand it because clearly they have no logic or consistency when they determine who gets the waiver and who doesn't now. So on one, on one hand, I like it because we don't have to rely on the NCAA to try and justify why they do it in some cases and don't do it in others. But, uh, but I do think it could be wrought with some problems as well. Free, uh, free agency is coming to college football. Yeah. That's a, between that and NIL, that's a great way of putting it. Mm-hmm. We are, we are entering free agency in college football. I know some would say, well, so what? That's why not free market society, capitalism. Um, again, I don't, I, it's like, I always talk about with college athletes being paid, which inevitably somebody who starts off that argument always starts it off in a dishonest uh, and in an uncredible way. I've never been against college athletes getting more. They already do get much more than they did five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Just understand we open up the doors to NIL. We have, we are inviting recruiting violations and free agency. We just are. That's good. That's going to be the landscape of it. Uh, and, and hopefully It'll be monitored properly and it'll be smooth. I'm, I'm pulling for it, but I do have some reservations about how it's going to be implemented. I mentioned Caleb Chapman, the A&M receiver that nobody from Florida could cover, uh, or as I like to call him, Chris Doring 2.0. Uh, he's likely out for the season now. Hurt himself on the last touchdown. That's tough. Aggies that's receivers, man, one. they've just been yeah. taking a beating this year. Yeah, that's... They already had their top returning guy opt out, and now they had a, a guy that looked like he could be a rising star, and he might be out for the year. Syracuse, their star, and I didn't even know they had many stars, but they do have an All-American defensive back by the name of Andre Sisco. He will miss the rest of the season. So Dino Babers and company, remember when Dino Babers was like a, like a hot name. Remember when that people caught Syracuse football fever and Dino Babers fever. They're now an underdog against Liberty this week. Mm, That's where. Yeah. Yeah, They, and they did have a big win at Georgia tech two weeks ago. And then Georgia tech turned around and beat Louisville, Georgia tech. I think is going to be kind of an unpredictable uh, team this year. I think that, uh, you know, when you look at it, they they are starting to recruit more uh, larger skill talent, bigger receivers, guys like that. They desperately need a quarterback. They're they're actually looking for one in the grad transfer market this year. Um, I, I think they're going to be fine. I, I just I, I think that at Syracuse, they well, you know sometimes like you say, Mike, when you have that one big year, everybody thinks well they've arrived, but. You know, he sort of scraped all that together. The ACC was down. He had the one big year where they won, what, nine, ten games, um, beat Clemson. Now they're kind of back down to earth. But I, I think they'll be they'll be okay. Uh, you know, Syracuse is redoing the Dome. Uh, it, it's kind of an outpost in the ACC. 
there is talent in their footprint. I think they're actually recruiting better than people think. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's a tough loss of the secondary to a team that you know has had its moments. You know, they had North Carolina to the third quarter in the opener, really close. North Carolina pulled away, uh, and like I said, the win over Georgia Tech. But that's uh, that's a situation there that I'm, I've always kind of been intrigued by. Uh, and just kind of knowing some things about them behind the scenes. I, I kind of I feel like they'll be, even if with a loss to Liberty this weekend, uh, they're heading back in the right direction. But, yeah, as far as Dino Babers going and getting like a – a bigger, better job somewhere that, that that's going to have to wait. You know, he's going to have to, yeah. he's going to have to try to continue to get it done up there uh, in Syracuse. Yeah. Yeah. That a uh, little bit of luster uh, has, uh, has worn off there. All right. In, in an effort to uh, avoid any possible SEC bias talk on this podcast, I'm going to mention some other games that are going to go on this weekend that are not in the SEC. Uh, BYU's at Houston at BYU wins that they're five and zero, and at least they're in the discussion. I hope they can pick up some games at the end of the year that would actually help. I, I think BYU getting in this should be a great story. I just don't know if they're going to have the resume to do it. Uh, Clemson at Georgia Tech, Cincinnati, Tulsa. We mentioned with Tom Pittsburgh at Miami. I don't know what happened to that Pittsburgh defense. Uh, all of a sudden, they are not nearly as salty. Uh, Louisville at Notre Dame should be a laugher. Louisville cannot play defense at all. Uh, North Carolina at Florida State. Ordinarily, that would be very intriguing, but I don't know of anything about Florida State that's really intriguing right now. And uh, Boston College at Virginia Tech. Look out for Boston College, man. <laughs> Look out for Boston. Like Phil Jerkovich. I think that's how you say it because that's the guy's name, Mike, if you don't pronounce it right. It sounds kind of bad, you know. So Jerkovich, I think is his name. Uh, he came in from Notre Dame as a transfer. Jeff Halfley's got them going really well, I think. You know, they almost knocked off North Carolina. I, I, I just – Boston College is just one of those teams. I, I did not think Steve Adazio was terrible at Boston College. I just think he was very, very average – um, and that program has won before. It's got its challenges, but they've won before. And I don't think Adazio left the cupboard completely bare. So, you know, the Hokies are coming off a letdown at North Carolina. Here come the Eagles. They did survive. <laughs> Excuse me. <coughs> no, I'm allergic to excellence. Um, they did survive that excellent <laughs> pit defense. College. They put 31 points up on that great, mighty, the mighty pit defense, which is now – also gave up 30 to NC State and everybody's favorite coach, Dave Dorn, who's now fourth in the league, by the way. Um, I'm going to eat my words on Dave Dorn. You're going to have to send him a bouquet, like Dave, a nice ba- chocolate basket with some flowers, maybe some sugar cookies. I'm convinced that Dave Dorn listens to this podcast and was like, all right, we're going to show them. They can play. All right, so in two weeks, well, they play. material. In two weeks, they play North Carolina, right? North Carolina's number five in the country. They go to Chapel. They take the drive to Chapel. They, NC State's got Duke this weekend. If they win that one, they are four and one going in to play the top five Tar Heels. Dave Dorn is in one of the marquee matchups of the ACC. Uh, and I'm going to have to eat my, eat my words on that one, most likely. <laughs> All right, let's get to the SEC. But before we do, I do want to remind everybody, if you are in the market for a new mortgage or a refi, a jumbo loan, a construction loan, 
it's never been a better time to get a loan with the lower interest rates, but that's not the only challenge there. You also have to find the person that can get you the best. Uh, just a tenth of a percentage point could mean thousands of dollars, and Stuart Wingo is going to get you those points and save you literally thousands of dollars. It's the one phone call. We've got a lot of great sponsors on this podcast over the years. This is truly the one where the one phone call will save you thousands of dollars. 803-319-1777. Doesn't matter what state you're in. I've done business with Stuart Wingo in multiple states, including twice here in Atlanta. Uh, No matter where you're listening, he is licensed and he will be of great assistance to you. He's banging it. He's working hard. As I always like to say, Stuart Wingo, uh, this is not a good looking man. It's not an athletic man. It's not a charming man. Um, you know, Stuart Wingo is, uh, is probably got a low Uber rating. But what he can do is he can save you a lot of money on a mortgage, and that's all you need to care about. So call him, 803-319-1777. What's your Uber rating, JC? Uh my Uber rating's not that good. <laughs> you know, I've never actually even looked. And I'm, as we're sitting here today, I'm curious because uh, uh, the, uh, the, the lovely and talented significant, significant another and I uh, recently took a little trip. And, uh, you know, we always Uber back and forth to the airport. And I've told her a number of times, I, I don't like Uber. This is not a commercial for Uber. Especially Uber in Atlanta, as you know, with your time here, you don't know what you're getting. Customer, uh, customer can, service, man. <laughs> just, by the way, mine's a 4.83, so that's not bad, right? So that means I've, I've, I've hid my disgust for some of the, the uh, cars that smell like cigarettes and year-old ham, and bare feet. Um, I've, I've hid my disgust for people, uh, Uber drivers who literally got lost going to the airport. <laughs> How do you, I realize there's not a huge screening process, but don't you at least have to know how to read Google Maps and go to the airport if you're going to do the job? Anyway, I was going to the airport one time in an Uber in Atlanta and it was interesting, and I didn't know why. Oh, I, but. I had a guy. You know where I live. Mm-hmm. I am in North Atlanta. The airport is in South Atlanta. I had a guy pick me up, and I wasn't paying attention because I was on a work call, and he went 20 minutes north. <laughs> so that's 20 minutes away from the airport. I wound up missing my flight. Oh, God. Had to reschedule. Yeah. I think Uber like gave me a five dollar off coupon, so that was very nice. Yeah, I've, I, I usually take Lyft. I, I don't, and I, and I actually started doing that in Atlanta because my Uber rating was not that good. Because I, I kind of don't have as much patience as you have, <laughs> um, and so uh, yeah, I started taking Lyft, and I, I got a pretty good Lyft rating. I think. So. Okay, well that's good. So that's, that's good. good. I I want to I want to know. I think the people deserve to know next week what your Uber rating is because. That sounds like it could be a very interesting story. And I don't want that. Number. I don't want that to go viral. <laughs> you don't want that. You don't want that to be on your resume. All right, here we got a full slate of games. Per well, we don't have a full slate. I lied. Vanderbilt, Missouri, not going to happen. We got six games. Auburn at South Carolina, a game I know you'll be following. I've already called for the upset. I think South Carolina, uh, and this is not based on what they did against Vanderbilt. Uh, the 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 basics. The basis is psychologically they needed something good to happen. It did. This is the kind of win must champ could really use 
They came close against Tennessee. I didn't like what I saw with Auburn against Arkansas. I don't like what I'm seeing with their offense right now. I think this is primed for an upset. Uh, I, I think that when you look at it, it you know, Auburn's a three-point favorite. I certainly think Auburn's probably got more difference makers, um, and at least when you compare their difference makers on offense to South Carolina's offense. But check this out. You know, through three games, Mike, Auburn's defense give, has given up 421 yards per game, 49th in the country. South Carolina – 330 yards per game, number 18 in the country. Gamecocks are top 50 in total offense. Auburn's number 67. Bo Nix has been sacked seven times in three games. South Carolina's got the number three third down defense. They're number six with time of possession. And I think that's a very important stat in this one because I think the more you can limit Auburn's opportunities, the less chance Malzahn and maybe Chad Morris have to dial up some of those gadget plays that, you know, can get you a cheap score or two for Auburn. Um, I'm going to make my prediction later this week on this game, but I do think it's a golden opportunity. South Carolina has never beaten Auburn as a member of the Southeastern Conference. They have not won against Auburn at all since 1933. (laughs) Um, South Carolina has beaten every other – to put it in perspective, the Gamecocks have beaten Alabama three times since they've been a member of the SEC since 1992. So, you know, but never beaten Auburn. So this is a big, big game. Once again, it's an opportunity game for Will Muschamp uh, and his staff to kind of you know, stem the tide of negativity. Uh, and, and I think they're catching Auburn at the right time. I do too. Uh, now an advantage Auburn for some reason, I feel like game advantage Carolina, Ole Miss, Arkansas, the fighting Kiffins against the fighting Pittmans, the pit boss, the Kiff. What do you got? I'm curious to see the chess match between Barry Odom and, and uh, Jeff Levy and, and Lane Kiffin. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, you, you start thinking about it, Mike, and what's been so impressive about this Ole Miss offense, you know, Florida's are obviously struggling on defense, but I say this on this podcast, we, we, this is, we've done a hundred and some odd episodes of this podcast, and I've said it from time, from day one, with Todd Grantham as your defensive coordinator, it is feast or famine. Uh, and offenses have been sort of feasting on what he's done at Florida so far this year. You know, so, you know, they put up those yards and stuff against the Gators in the opener, and I'm like, well, that's to be expected. Well, then they go up to Kentucky, and they go up and down the field on those guys. And those guys have a pretty good defense. I mean, look what they did to Mississippi State last week, and they kind of held Auburn in check. Kentucky's got a good D. Um, and so then they go and they do what they did to Saban. So, you know, you do that against a Mark Stoops and a Nick Saban coach defense, and that's saying something. Uh, but I'm still curious about the chess match because Barry Odom, my boy from Missouri, who's a probably a C-plus head coach but an A-minus defensive coordinator, Remember everybody was talking about how Mississippi State was going to light them up, and they didn't. And then last week they played a gutsy game against Auburn. Uh, I, I'm just curious to see that chess match and if the Ole Miss offense can keep it rolling uh, and, and what Arkansas does on defense. Because if it gets too if – it, if it's a track meet, no offense to Felipe Franks, who's actually playing pretty good, and Kendall Browse in the Arkansas offense, I don't think Arkansas is going to be able to keep up. 
but then again, then again, the Ole Miss defense is historically bad. So maybe, so I, I'm just kind of the, the, the Ole Miss offense versus Arkansas defense chess match coaching wise uh, is something I'm interested in because Barry Odom is smart. Uh, he's always during his career as a coordinator done more with less and I want to see how the hell he's going to play these guys because nobody else has been able to figure it out. Maybe Barry Odom can. Arkansas should be two and one. And if they win that game, you could say that it should be three and one. And if that were the case, Sam Pittman might have locked up SEC coach of the year <laughs> already. Yeah. <laughs> already uh, before the midway point of the season. Not bad for a guy that, uh, again, a lot of people when the hire was made was like, eh, okay. I guess LSU, Florida, four o'clock Eastern time, ESPN. The Gators uh, dropped five spots in the poll to number 10. Uh, these are two teams that have not played a lick of defense, but we know Florida can play some offense. It's in the swamp. I'll go Gators. I think so too, but don't be, don't be surprised because everybody's, you know, everybody's been saying how bad LSU is this week. Don't be surprised if it's a close game down the wire. I think probably like 30, I'm thinking 38, 35 ish, something like that. Mm -hmm. Miles Brennan, Tom was right. He has surprised me this year and played pretty well. Their problems are not offensively. Um, It's with that defense. And and I think, and also, you know, the COVID situation, you know, five players testing positive. And then if you have contact tracing and stuff like that, you don't know uh, how it ultimately may affect Florida. But I do expect Florida to win. And uh, I, I tell you, Mike, this could be a season at LSU where you just kind of – it's just a lost year. You, you know, uh, they could be four and six or three and seven by the time it's all It's kind of feeling – yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of feeling that way because, again, there's just – this year there's no let-up in the schedule. You don't have that week, that game to get things right. Um, well, do you do? And while, but, but, but they've already had it at Vanderbilt in week two. Well, yeah, you're, that, that's you do true. have Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's historically bad too, by the way. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but for the most part, I mean, you just you you just uh, like fans don't miss those games against the Sun Belt or the MAC or CUSA. I tell you who does though the coaches. Yeah, if you want to put. What's what's the the drug that makes you tell the truth? Sodium pentanol. Yeah, is that right. It's, yeah. If you want to if you want to inject those SEC coaches with sodium pentanol, they'll tell you they miss those games. They miss them. They serve a purpose for them. They they really do. But not this year. It ain't happening. A uh, and M at Mississippi State. A and M is six and a half point favorites. I don't at, know. Uh, I, I I does Mike Leach write the ship because. That offense has been putrid. I'm telling you, look out for the Mississippi State defense in this game. Um, I've actually, you know, through through the last two weeks, I've been impressed with them. K.J. Costello cannot continue to turn over the football. I mean, that's just – he turned it over against LSU, but because that was such a, a monument, monumental win and nobody expected it and it's the Pirates' first game in the SEC and all this other stuff – you know, everybody kind of excused it, but you know, then you go and you you can only manage fourteen against Arkansas, and then you know you get shut out offensively against Kentucky. Kentucky only had Mike, I think, a hundred and something yards of offense in that Correct. game, which also yeah. tells me 
Mississippi State's defense is pretty good. You know, so Mississippi State's got to it's, – it's going to probably come down to which quarterback makes the least amount of mistakes. Kellen Mond played really well last week. But as you know, sometimes it's up and down. You know, so it's going to come down to the who, who – which quarterback throws the least amount of interceptions uh, in this football game. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the Aggies are going to win it, but I, I think – I think you'll kind of see some of the mistakes State's been making the last two weeks clean themselves up, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, I'll go with the Aggies, although this game is begging to go the other way. Like everything about this game says go with State because everybody's counting them out. Yeah. Go with State because you can't trust Texas A&M. Can't. Uh, go with State because they're at home. Like every, everything is telling me to go State, but I'll, I'll go with Aggies as well just because I think they're a better overall team. Uh, Kentucky, Tennessee, it'll be at high noon. UK in Knoxville, the Volunteers, a six-point favorite. I, I think Tennessee will get up off the mat, and it's just it's because of this, man. I mean, Kentucky cannot beat Tennessee. <laughs> it just – it just doesn't – it never happens. I don't care how bad Tennessee is or how good Kentucky is. It just never – it never happens. Let, let, let me just take you down memory lane here, Mike. Uh, all right, so so let's go back to the first year. Let's, go, let's just take post-Philip Fulmer. Tennessee's 2-1, and 3-1, and 4-1, 5-1, 6-1, 7-1, two, 8-2, 9-2 in the 11 years since Philip Fulmer left against Kentucky – that means Derek Dooley and Butch Jones have owned them. Uh, they owned Rich Brooks. They owned Joker Phillips, and they've owned Mark Stoops. Last year, I mean, two years ago, in 2018, Jeremy Pruitt was in his first year. Tennessee wasn't very good. Tennessee steamrolled those guys. Um, even the wins Kentucky's had, Mike, uh, like 29-26, they beat interim head coach Brady Pope or Brady, Brady Hoke, Brady Hoke. Uh, and then they beat the Doolander in 2011, 10-7. I mean, so they've only beaten one full-time coach at Tennessee, a non-interim situation, uh, since Fulmer left. And then when Fulmer was there, it was, it was before before that game in 2011 where Kentucky beat him, Mike. Kentucky hadn't won since 1984. Tennessee leads this series 81-25-9. to 25 and nine. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of Kentucky's wins in the series of the 25 were during the Bear Bryant era at Kentucky. I was waiting for you to break down the history of bourbon and whiskey. Go, oh, yeah, hey, look. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they should call it. But, man, I mean, I, I just – I don't – it, it baffles me because, you know, if you think about the – you know, the, the it, since Tennessee sort of been in the wilderness, Mike – you know, there's been a lot of years. Kentucky's been a, a demonstrably better football team than Tennessee start to finish, yeah. but the Vols have found a way to win. So I have no reason to not go with Kentucky, but it's 2020. And like you said, anything could happen. I'm going to reserve my opinion on Tennessee's offensive line. I'm going to give them a continuance for one more week. They were not good at all against Georgia. We know how good Georgia's defense is. Garantano was awful against Georgia. Just all, I mean, you got to protect the ball, son. You're a senior now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, 
Negative one rushing yards. Negative one rushing yards against yeah, Georgia. I, I, I'm going Kentucky for those reasons. Uh-oh. I, I just, yeah, I'm going Kentucky on an upset. That's bold. Kentucky's been a little bit of a disappointment so far. Yes. Um, but I, I'm going to take them in an upset in this game. That's bold, so we'll brother. See. That's a bold move. You know, every now and then you just, you got to go with uh, old Pappy over Jack Daniels. Yeah, they played the trophy for this game. Oh, it once they once involved a trophy. Okay, it was the wooden beer barrel, right? And they I'm somebody had an issue, and they, they yeah they had a car crash, and then they they quit with the barrel exchange. But uh, have they eliminated car crashes since since getting rid of it? <laughs> no, they uh, like okay after Tennessee won last year, they, they so it does exist. It does the barrel still exists? They just yeah. Um, Tennessee still has it because Tennessee tight ends coach Brian Niedermeyer after last year's win posted a photo of the barrel on Twitter. Okay. <laughs> so it's still, still there. It's so. kind of like they still drink in Jacksonville at the landing when Florida and Georgia meet, but you can't call it the world's largest outdoor, outdoor, outdoor cocktail, cocktail party. party. Yeah. yeah it's the world we live in, man. Yes, it is. Uh, and this is the week we live in. It could be the game of the year, regular season. Alabama, Georgia, CBS going prime time on this one, 8 o'clock Eastern time. We already broke this down a little bit with Tom um, back when we had him on. Alabama's a six-point favorite, by the way. I mean, for me, the, the this game comes down in a lot of ways, believe it or not, to Stetson Bennett the fourth, the legal owner of Bushwood Golf and Country Club. Uh, because if, if he continues to make the kind of plays that he's making, no one's accusing him of being a Heisman Trophy candidate. But if he continues to play the way he's playing, I don't see an, a, a, a weakness for Georgia. And, and we know there's very few teams that don't have a weakness this year in college football. And Alabama's defense showed a few warts last week. I'm sure they'll tighten a lot of that up this week. I think it's got a chance to be an outstanding game. Uh, if it was on a neutral field, definitely I, I would I would be very tempted to go with Georgia. It's it's at Bryant Denny Stadium. Nick's got them all fired up even after a win, but he had plenty to be miserable about after that game against Ole Miss. I'm leaning toward Alabama. I'm going to go Alabama too. I I, I almost want to go because I do think Georgia's got the best defense in the country. But boy, Alabama's skill, talent, the RPO game they run. Um, if anybody can match up with Georgia's defense, I think it's Alabama's offense. And, and I think Alabama's defense is, you know, don't be fooled into thinking that that's a typical performance by those guys. Still a lot of talent. Um, and, you know, I think, I think Georgia's offense has been serviceable and, and give Stetson Bennett the third or the fourth, whatever Bushwood guy, give him all the credit in the world. Uh, I just think it's going to be a different type of challenge this weekend. Uh, and it's tough, you know, and this is, I don't think this is necessarily fair to Georgia that they have to go play two of their, their traditional rivals in back-to-back weeks in Auburn and Tennessee, and then go to Alabama. I mean, I guess that's what happens when you're playing an all SEC schedule and you're Georgia, because you have a lot of border rivals and things of that nature. But but I think I think having this game right now is a little bit unfair to them because they've had to get up huge the last two weeks for two teams that want to go in there and kick their butt. Now they got to go into Tuscaloosa. But uh, I'm gonna go Alabama. I think it'd be a heck of a game though, like 24-21 ish. 
Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, this, this is a game that defense is not optional. It will be played. Uh, Georgia's been outstanding all year on that, and I do believe uh, that Alabama will tighten some things up, and this is not going to be a shootout. This, this will be your typical SEC game of the week uh, between two powerhouses with a lot of athletes on defense that can make some plays. So that'll be a lot of fun. This has been a lot of fun, JC. For those that haven't enjoyed uh, the fun on a weekly basis, A, scold them mercilessly, and B, tell them how to change that. Oh, yeah. Just go to Apple Podcast uh, if you got an iPhone. Um, please rate us five stars. Uh, we're looking to get uh, 500 ratings and reviews before the end of the season we're getting toward that number so thank you for that uh, but we still need a whole lot more just say hey these are good guys we're listening to their podcast okay um also if you don't have an iphone uh, you can uh, get on the stitcher app which is a podcasting app google play iheart we're on the iheart app and sooner or, we're almost to where we're going to be on amazon music and audible but that's not yet so if you like those two, but you're listening to us on something else, but you, you're like, oh boy, I can't wait for J.C. Morgan to be on Audible or Amazon Music, where you can just tell Alexa to you know, pull up, give me, Alexa, give me some J.C. and Morgan. Um, you know, I think, I think that's, uh, th- th- that'll be happy. And my Alexa's talking back to me. I should have known better before I said that. But <laughs> yeah, so uh, just, uh, but even if you're not an iPhone user, if you wouldn't mind going to Apple podcast and, and doing the rating and review, it's real easy. We really appreciate that. Cause that gives us uh, a, a lot of, um, you know, clout, I guess, and, and brings us up in terms of uh, rankings. Yeah. And we're not like the other podcasts that can afford to pay people to do that on the side. We yeah, actually yeah. have to have genuine unsolicited positive reviews. So uh, I can only go on uh, based on what uh, people tell me, which is, uh, they they enjoy it thoroughly and they break down specifics as to why. So apparently we're doing something right and the numbers continue to be good and we continue to grow. So we thank all of you once again for that. We thank uh, Tom Lukenbill for giving us uh, his time today on a great segment. And we uh, thank all of you who will listen again next week. Until then, for JC, it's Mike. So long. <laughs>